Welcome to a special episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. In our bonus episodes, we like to give some airtime to stories and individuals that are doing something just that little bit special. Today's guest is Geoffrey Shaw, self-employment guru and author of the recently released The Self-Employed Life. Coming up on today's show... Geoffrey gives us an insight into the self-employed mindset. I'm such a mix of kind of, you know, woo-woo and very, very logical thinking. Phil hints that Geoffrey may be qualified to talk about self-employment. You have literally been self-employed your entire working life. And Geoffrey highlights that winners can come out of nowhere. Who would have thought toilet paper and sanitizer would have been the winners of 2020? All that and so much more as Geoffrey talks us through his self-employed life so far, as well as giving us some incredible insights from within his latest book, The Self-Employed Life released on May the 4th this year. This chat is laden full of content, perfectly summed up by Phil is this. I feel like I've had a coaching session, to be honest. So if you run your own business, have a listen into this chat and get yourself a copy of this book now. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button and give us a like and a share across your favorite social networks. Let's share these amazing stories as far as we can. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to a special episode of Hospitality Meets with me, Phil Street. Today, I've got something just a little bit different, but no less exciting, you'll be glad to hear. As of the third quarter of 2020, there was actually somewhere in the region of around 264,000 people registered as self-employed working within the accommodation and food service sectors in the UK. Today's guest speaks directly to everyone who considers themselves in that category. A leading voice for self-employed business owners, a podcaster like myself. He has a a show called The Self-Employed Life, which is heard in 200 countries by somewhere in the region of about 30,000 listeners a month. Not only that, a best-selling author of Lingo, a book around discovering the language of your ideal customers, and also, and kind of the reason why we're connected and talking today, he has a highly anticipated upcoming book called The Self-Employed Life, which we're going to talk about very, very shortly. It gives me huge amounts of pleasure to welcome Jeffrey Shaw to the show. Hey, Phil. I'm thrilled to be here with you. What a wonderful introduction. Thank you for that. Very good. Only took me uh, three hours to write. So, um, <laughs> it was perfect. It was awesome. And about three hours to, to regale it as well. Um, no, I think that might be the longest intro I've ever done for somebody. But <laughs> I'm honored. I, uh, but no, I mean, you know, you're a podcaster yourself. So I, what I find interesting is actually doing a little bit of research on people and you know, some people I've had on a show, it's it's quite difficult to get information. But with you, I mean, you're kind of everywhere. And I mean that in a positive way. <laughs> it feels that way sometimes for me, too. <laughs> yeah, I feel you. Yeah. So how are you anyway? I'm I'm doing well. I, I'm excited at the time we're living in. I, you know, I, I like change and, and change doesn't always come along, uh, you know, favorably. But, you know, let's face it, the world is opening up. Things are looking brighter and you and I were chatting a bit there's happy reunions going on and what I love to see is every time again I've I've often said this is kind of like my third rodeo because I've been in business long enough to have been through 9-11 at which time I was living in New York City and then the Great Recession and then this comes along and in every case there's kind of a wonderful shifting in society's values and in human values after a crisis so I'm looking forward to a future of people businesses caring more, people being living more gratitude, uh, of really feeling grateful for what they have. And also, which has become a big mission of my book, because when I wrote the book, it was 
I was writing it pre-pandemic, and uh, I was writing the book. Right, the right, self, right. I was writing the book, the self-employed life for people who were already self-employed, and then of course millions of people lost their jobs, and then that became important to me. But I, right now, I'm, I think a lot of these days about people who are you know, quote unquote fortunate enough to still have their jobs, but might be reconsidering whether they're happy in those jobs, and maybe self-employment is a way for them to be uh, happier. So I like the fact that I think right now people are re-evaluating their lives. And I think that's a, a good thing. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I think that the, there's bound to be studies have been done on economic downturns through the through the years. But I think self-employment is very much a real option for, for people. And I think a lot of the time, if you are employed and you, you lose your job in a time of downturn, then you, sometimes it can be that little shove that you need to to get you to that point, right? Yeah, I mean, it's it, after the recession. I don't remember what the statistics were, but there was something like seventy percent of people who lost their job in the recession admitted they didn't like their job anyway, right? And then we have what? What is it? Like an eighty-five percent dissatisfaction rate with jobs. Let's face it, an awful lot of people aren't happy with the job that they're in. So, you know, I don't know. I have these. I have these little fantasies that play out in my mind, just thinking about that corporate person sitting in their office, looking out the window, frustrated and thinking, wouldn't it be nice to open up like a little B&B in Vermont, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and then they go off and do it, you know, and I actually started a LinkedIn live show called From Corporate Life to Self-Employed Life. And I started that show on LinkedIn specifically for that audience. Like I was just thinking, you know, and I joke on the, the LinkedIn live show saying sometimes that, you know. If you're at work, maybe you have to listen to this in the washroom. But you know, if you're thinking about leaving your job, I want to offer you the support that you need. So I don't know. I I, I fantasize about people, you know, taking taking the the leap, hopefully as safely, but then really, like I said, living the life of their dreams. And maybe that's uh, I said maybe that's starting a little B and B somewhere. Yeah, which I think would be wonderful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, well, I, there'll, there'll be a, a, a inevitably an awful lot of people who are are, are contemplating what the next phase of life looks like for them. Yeah. And um, yeah, well, where in the world are you at the moment? I, I am in my sunny Miami, Florida. Oh. Uh, I, I, I have to say it's pretty, you know, it's the nice thing. I've been here for five years. And the nice thing about moving from somewhere else, I was in Manhattan most of my life and moved here five years ago. And the nice thing is when you come to a new place as an outsider is that I can go on and on about how wonderful it is. And, and hopefully it doesn't come across like I'm talking about myself. You know, it comes across, it's just, it's to me, it's deep gratitude to yeah. live in, to live in paradise and actually be aware of it. It's just a wonderful way to live. I mean, I, I look out my windows at the water and I walk around and I love the architecture and the beach and I love the vibe and the people It's 70% Latin here. So I may as well be living in a different country and I love every bit of it. Right. So it's it's nice to live in constant gratitude for sure. Well, if you're going to uh, continue to rub the paradise element into my face <laughs> while I'm sat here in admittedly sunny Stansted, just outside of London uh, in the UK, uh, it it is only ten degrees here though. Um, think, yeah, when <laughs> okay. where you are, it might be one or two degrees warmer. I think a bit, a bit. <laughs> yeah. I won't rub it in. <laughs> yeah. Great stuff. Well, uh, let's crack on with your story because I think one of the, the the things that I remember reading and I really loved was, and especially for somebody who's just written a book around you know, being self-employed, is that you have literally been self-employed your entire working life. Yeah, I have. I've uh, and beyond and I've, before. I've never had a traditional job. Received a paycheck. 
you know, it, I started out at 14 years old selling eggs door to door as a way to make money. I grew up in a country town and uh, struck a deal with a local farmer to, to, he was producing, his chickens were producing the eggs and he managed to get the cardboard cartons for me. And I would go on Thursdays and I'd stuff the cartons of eggs and walk around on Saturday or drive around on Saturdays, even though it was years before getting a driver's license, it was the country. Nobody cared. Uh, <laughs> nobody was going to notice. I could, I could just barely touch the, I could barely see over the steering wheel and touch the gas at the same time. And admittedly, I did tick out a few neighbors' bushes, but I would, <laughs> I would drive around from neighborhood to neighborhood selling eggs. And uh, one thing led to another. And I went from that to uh, selling greeting cards door to door at one point, and then uh, went off to photography school. And by 20 years old, I had opened up my first photography studio, portrait photography. And right. gosh, 36 years later, remarkably, I mean, I'm still doing some photography, very little. I've been kind of stepping back for the last several years in order to make more room for what I do today, which is uh, small business consulting, writing books, speaking, podcasting. Uh, so I've been kind of, as I refer to it, as kind of pulling back the lever of photography for the last several years to make space for the, the kind of expert industry that I'm stepping into. Right. Was there ever a part of your, your thought process that went, right, I'm going to study this and then I'm going to get a job? Or, or did you always, I, mean, I say when I get a job, being self-employed is still a job, but the um, was it always just this drive to be kind of your, your own boss, as it were? Well, and, and by the way, I've, I used to always say, you know, I used to always make the distinction about I've never had a real job. And a friend of mine corrected me. They said, are you kidding me? Self-employed people have like the most real job there is. You need to stop saying that. So I've tried I've tried saying traditional job, but I totally get it. It's like sometimes I, you know, hey, you're going to work harder than ever when you're self-employed. But sometimes I don't call it a job either because it's what I love to do. Yeah. You know, oh, I absolutely there have been times I fantasized about what it would be like to have a traditional job. Never anything, honestly, even over 36 years, nothing that I actually really took that serious because I really have always loved being self-employed. But I would fantasize it every now and then. It was typically my son who would set me straight because he would say, Dad, are you kidding? You're completely unemployable. And, <laughs> and, he, and he's and he's right. I used to I used to think he meant you know because I, I I know I don't have any other education, um, I don't have degrees and such. But actually, what I what I know he means is that I just I don't have the patience. I don't have the I don't wouldn't have the patience for committee decisions. I actually love to collaborate. I love being a part of a team. I with my book. I mean, I told my publisher I was just so excited to work with their whole publishing team. And it's a significant size team between you know, mm. the marketing department and distribution department and the project manager. And to me, I felt like I was stepping into a, almost a corporate atmosphere working with them and loved every bit of, of it because I love collaboration. But in the end, don't strip away my power. Like that's where I just can't, you know, and, and yeah. you know, if I, and if I got frustrated and not just with them, but anybody I collaborate with, where I tend to get frustrated is that they move too slow. And when you're right. self-employed, I'm used to moving so quick and getting things done so quick that, you know, I, I just, I don't have, that's where I think I would struggle the most if I had a traditional job was, you know, are you kidding me? This is taking this long to get this done. Like that would drive me crazy. Yeah. There's no structure to get through to, to, to pass something to move forward. Is there? Yeah, You've just, yeah. oh, I, I feel like doing that. It makes sense. I'm going to do it. 
Yeah, and I don't think it's a I don't think it's a great way to be in business today. I think companies need to learn from self-employed and small businesses. You know, I mean, I even yeah. look at uh, the whole idea of goal setting or long-term planning, five-year, ten-year, twenty-year plans. I, how, how how can you even? I don't. I can't even get my head around how you plan that far ahead. No, um, I know. I struggle with certainly oh. at the moment. I struggle with the next month. Yeah, to not be- in today's <laughs> world. And I actually did a. Uh, I did a podcast episode myself a while back that I was kind of making that comparison between long term planning and doing what I refer to, which I think is better, which is to follow what's unfolding. Mm. Right. I mean, I think the way to be in business today is to be highly attuned to like what's unfolding in front of you, and not just. Part of that follow what's unfolding is looking for opportunities. But beyond that, it's also follow what's unfolding in the world, right? You have to be so highly sensitive to how the world is unfolding, how that's affecting of the lives of the people you serve and follow that. Like you need to really be, you know, I think the buzzword in business today is, is empathy, and yeah. fortunately, having been a photographer for so many decades, I think I have that in spades. I think it's natural to who I am anyway. But you know, being a photographer is the art of observation. So it's always observing. And that, to me, far greater of importance than planning is to be highly attuned to what's going on around you and then follow that. You know, That's yeah. where the opportunities in business lie today. And that's where the opportunities to not be toned down. I don't know that we'll ever have, when I say we, I don't know that consumers will ever have the patience for tone deaf brands moving forward, you know, as has been in the past. And and I think this in particular, Phil, I think this greatly affects the hospitality industry. We cannot be tone deaf because you can, once you offend people, they're done with you. And uh, there was a luggage company, I won't call them out, but there was a high-end luggage company that, to be honest with you, I don't think they're, they don't tend to do a lot of advertising, print and TV, but their ad campaign continued after the lockdown. So I'm like, why are you selling luggage when no one's getting (laughs) it? Yeah, it's like rub it in your face. Right. And clearly it's just on autopilot, right? They were committed, they had to move forward, but that level of tone deafness is not going to be accepted. And I think that's really important in the hospitality industry because I, here in Miami, by the way, I look out at the the cruise ships. I'm right across the bay from Miami. And I sit there in the beginning, especially, I looked at those cruise ships and I was like, what do they need to say, those brands, what do they need to say to get people back on ships? And what they need to say is that they are taking the steps of sanitization that are appropriate. And for me, when I look at what hospitality needs to do for sanitization, I actually want to lean on technology, right? I as a consumer and someone certainly as a professional speaker spends an awful lot of time in, in hotels. Mm. For me, I want to know that that there was technology was used to clean that room. And I know that can be done. My mom was in the hospital shortly before the, uh, the lockdowns. And when I was visiting her every afternoon, when I was visiting her, we were asked to leave the room. They sent a robot into the hotel room who, Apparently, I think infrared, whatever was going on, it wasn't something that humans could be exposed to, but the robot would go in and I'm thinking just, you know, light, whatever is zapping all the bacteria. That's what I want to know, right? I want to know that things are, (laughs) you know, I've had two hotel experiences recently that, that the difference stood out to me. One hotel, the remote control for the TV was nicely packaged, sealed with a note, letting me know that it had been sanitized. Right. Okay. Second hotel. 
didn't. I was scared to death to touch that whole remote. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that, you've been preconditioned then, haven't right. you, that that's the standard yeah, yeah. Um, right there in the bag. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is, I'm, I've always been a germaphobe. I've always, uh, I'll give you an example of dining out that I have never understood and have sent, I've sent back many plates in my day long before the pandemic when you go to a nice restaurant, the table's beautifully set, the server comes to the table and puts it, puts the beautiful leather-bound menu on top of the plate. And I have always asked for that a different plate. If, if right. I wasn't able to, if I wasn't able to stop the server quick enough, I would say, I need, I'm sorry, I need a different plate. I have no idea whose hands have touched that menu. And now you've just put it on my plate. And that's actually pretty standard procedure in a restaurant, which I think now we will have a different level of awareness of. Like that yeah. just is not okay. So, so you must be yeah. delighted that COVID's come along then. It's, and, you know, uh, it, hasn't, the it, it hasn't changed my behavior a whole lot. I've, I've said, you know, I've never touched elevator, but I've, I'm a city guy. I grew up in my, New York City and now I live in Miami. Like I've, I've always hit elevator buttons with my elbow and I've never touched an escalator handrail in my life because those are really disgusting. <laughs> they never right. get cleaned, right? So in a lot of ways, this hasn't changed my behavior. You know, but I, I look at it and, and see how it will change the behavior of many industries. And I think it, I think in a, in a decent way. But I also what I think a lot of businesses may overlook is the need and the opportunity to change their brand messaging. Right. Don't just don't just do these things because they're the right thing to do, but make sure you're marketing that you're doing them. Yeah, and also there now there's a lot of kind of work towards trying to because you can get really functional when it comes to matters of of health and hygiene at any level, uh, not just COVID related stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's about the there's a lot of companies now trying to figure out how to make this an experiential thing, you know, rather than it just being playing its its functional role. Yeah, yeah, and like I said, I think you know a lot of ways. The I think the hospitality industry could be really huge leaders here and, yeah. and, and really innovative. And it, a lot of it in my previous book, Lingo, was all about really understanding kind of the, the unspoken, the secret language of your customers. And uh, I actually spoke a couple of years ago. I spoke at an organization, an event, which was for the Small Lodging Association of America. So those were all accommodations of 75 or fewer rooms. And as a case study, I looked into like what Weston Hotels did with the Heavenly Bed, uh, okay. what it, right? Which is such a, because what they did is they studied who were their primary customers. They were business travelers. What's the number one most important thing for a business traveler? Sleep. Yeah. <laughs> right. So the investment, which was millions and millions of dollars to change over all the beds in Weston Hotels to what they you know, marketed and branded and marketed as Heavenly Beds, uh, paid off in spades. Yeah. Because they became known as, and I tell you, those beds are awesome, but they became known as the <laughs> brand that, you know, as a business traveler. So I think you know, what you want to do is kind of tap into like what, who really is your, your target audience and what's most, what really is most important to them without assumptions, you know, without making yeah. any assumptions about them, but really get to know what's, what is most important about them to them. Yeah. I, there's actually, there's a, a, a lot of logic behind that isn't there mm-hmm. just yeah. in terms of actually then this comes back to your point around you know looking at what's going on what's unfolding in front of you and around you is that you, if you then just apply a, a straightforward logical brain as to what impact that's going to have 
on you, your business, your product, your service, whatever it is that you're you're offering. And then, okay, is what I have at the moment fit for that purpose? Right. Yes or no. Go to if it's no, then okay, what do we need to do to change? And that's just a really logical methodology to 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 work through a, a moment of change. Yeah, and I've I've been in business long enough to know. I mean, you know, some business models will struggle. You know, if you look at the digital age and the impact that it had on traditional newspapers and such. Yeah. Uh, but I also I see a lot of what were traditional publications transition to their digital application and are actually now building a business model really clever. Another industry that I think stands out is the music industry. You know, and I having been a photographer for so many years, there's a lot of relatability here because when the idea of downloadable music, you know, iTunes, uh, things like Napster, you know, when the, when the idea of, of downloadable music came along, of course, the music industry went nuts mm. right? because this, and, and, you know, being a photographer, I'm very sensitive to the plight of artists. And of course, this was going to have a major impact on whether artists can make money. Uh, you know, and Sony Records, I think, sued Napster, and eventually, I think they did win. I think that's what caused Napster to go out of business. And but hey, all these years later, has any of it changed the force of technology? Of course not. I mean, everybody no. streams music, but what it also has brought about is innovation in the industry as to how artists make money. Uh, during the pandemic, I saw several artists do extremely well by giving. Uh, virtual concerts that you paid a ticket for. And yep. I attended many of them because I had a lot more time in my hands. So I, I attended, <laughs> I, you know, I got to see a lot of musicians uh, virtually that I don't know that I would have bothered to go see them in a stadium, but it was, you know, so they they've changed their business model. It also has, you know, I don't know if you remember the band Millie Vanilli, right? Where they were just yeah, lip syncing, right? You're, you're aging yourself now. Right. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you can't be a Millie Vanilli nowadays if your only source of income is live performances. Yeah. Right? So if you're, as an artist, a musician, if you're not able to make money because music is streamed or downloaded, nowadays all streamed, if, if what you need to rely on is the adaptation of your business model that you need to be a good live performer, it actually means that we're going to have better music because mm. you have to be able to perform it live. So I always look at change, you know, as you said, right at the beginning, I enjoy change. I think it can, it often brings, you know, companies just have to get innovative. I, I think there's almost always look and it, every time somebody's losing, somebody's winning, like who would have thought toilet paper and sanitizer would have been the winners <laughs> of 2020. Right. So Every t you know, somebody's hurting and somebody's gaining, but also the thing to look for, I think particularly in the hospitality industry right now, the, the opportunity to look for is what's the winning side of your industry? What's the winning side of your business, even your specific business is to really dig for how can I turn this into, into a winning situation? And I really believe the opportunity is almost there if you get creative. Yeah, I, we're also witnessing it firsthand now as well as as uh, hospitality begins to to reopen here. Yeah. It doesn't necessarily mean that businesses, if you take a city like London as an example, uh, it would be the same in New York, I guess, is that it doesn't mean that the office workers are returning to the office yet. And it doesn't, right. you know, it, you're, the percentage of people who are coming into the office is going to be, if you're lucky, 50% of what it was before. You know, a lot more working from home, a lot more hot desking, and the the knock on effect 
of that into the hospitality trade that we're seeing is that city centres are going to struggle mm, uh, in the yeah. short term. But what's going to flourish is the localization of the fact that people are staying at home and they are staying in their local area. They're not commuting into that area. So you'll probably see a, a, an uptick of of new opportunities uh, wherever you know the, the pockets of population are from a, a home base perspective. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'll also offer that, you know, you know, the industry, your industry far better than I do, but I mean, one of the greater, one of the threats of the hospitality industry has been, I don't know whether to call them out by brand or just, you know, uh, space share, uh, share, well, Airbnb, you know, I mean, right. it's, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a threat to the, it's, it has seemed like a threat to the industry. But think about now, like, again, as someone who travels a lot, it's like I'm much, I have more comfort in staying in a brand that I have confidence has procedures. You know, yeah. for, for example, an odd, this may be an odd example, but a good friend of mine was is very gluten intolerant and oddly enough, can eat certain things at a place like McDonald's okay. because, because it's so highly systematized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, like, they know you. They you know because it's so systematized. You know exactly what's going to interact with the bread and what won't. Okay. Yeah. So, I think there's an opportunity. I know I, as a consumer, have a much higher level in of confidence in a brand, uh, particularly a, a chain or a larger brand. I have very high confidence in them. Their established procedures and systematic behavior when it comes to cleanliness and sanitization than I do in staying in someone's private home yeah, because it's not standardized. Yeah. So I think the standardization of procedures can actually be a huge win for many brands and particularly the hospitality industry. And, and what has maybe seemed like a, a threatening competitor of the past may actually, that actually, this may actually end up being their weakness. Yeah, no, in- interesting point. I hadn't really thought about it that way, but, but that makes sense. It makes total yeah. sense. Yeah, I mean, I've always felt that way, as a, just from safety, because I I'm very cautious of neighborhoods that that I'm in, and you know, there's a correlation between brand and price scale and the neighborhood it's in. Yeah, right? yeah. So I've, as someone that travels a fair amount, and and being safe in my accommodations uh, is very important to me. So I tend to gravitate towards brands that I know will be situated because the brand that it is in neighborhoods that can provide that comfort. Yeah. If there's any uh, big brands listening, well, listen and take note because you won't be alone in that thinking, I'm sure. No, not at all. I mean, I I tend to, you know, (laughs) with the exception of, you know, maybe few individuals in the world, Steve Jobs and a handful of others, I think, you know, few of us have totally original thoughts. And I say that in a favorable way because I feel like if I'm feeling this way, there has to be hordes of other people that are feeling the same way. Yeah. Right. And how can we leverage our own mindsets to, to give deeper understanding to the people we want to serve? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've kind of taken you off topic a little bit, actually. (laughs) That's uh, if you've listened to any of the other episodes of this show, that's not something that ever happens. (laughs) Um, Yeah. So let's go back to you. And well, you're a fellow podcaster, and mm-hmm. uh, and I wanted to talk about this because it's obviously it's relevant to to the book topic as well. Talk to me about how that came about. So, gosh, and we're coming on our seventh year, and we've broadcast uh, about wow. seven. About, I know about seven hundred episodes too. You must love it then. To, I to, really do. 
I really yeah. do. I, I gosh, the conversations on both ends. Like I love, I love a conversation with you. I'm a talker, obviously, so I, I enjoy conversation. <laughs> so I enjoy being a guest as well. There, honestly, the way it came about was a personal challenge. So prior to then, you know, this was 2014 when I started my podcast. I was actually in a leadership program, and I started the podcast with no long range plan. I barely knew anything about podcasting, but it was yeah. a personal challenge to see. It was a stretch for me because what I had recognized in my life up to that point is I used to call myself the professional guest because as a photographer, I photograph entirely on location. So I would, as a photographer, I would just always in somebody else's home. And as a professional speaker, I was always on the guest in somebody else's event. Right. Uh, and I, I actually started questioning whether I would start questioning my value. And I wondered if I was successful in life and whether I got the work that I did because I pushed myself through. Okay. Yep. You know, I want, I, right. And I began wondering like, well, what if I sat back? What if I was a host? Would people come to me? Would, would guests, would uh, guests, potential guests say yes? And would people show up to listen? So it actually in a leadership program, I started the show as a, as a test to see if I was worthy of coming to instead of always being the guy that got everything in life that he achieved by going towards it. Right. Okay. And um, I know it's the craziest reason to ever start a podcast, right? There was no marketing plan <laughs> behind it. Like it was really a personal challenge. And hey, you know what? It worked. I mean, what I found is that I had, you know, I would, I would randomly reach out to people on Twitter, like some really big authors and ask them if they'd be a guest and they would say, sure. And we kicked off the show and People started listening and it just started growing. And, you know, as you said in the introduction, like some 30,000 people a month now listen to the show. So yeah, it great. has, it, it's helped me kind of settle into feeling more confident in myself because I now feel that I have something worthy of coming to and not just pushing because I will always beat you to the punch. Like I, I'm the type of person that's always wanted to assure my success. So I've always been the first one out of the gate to be going for the goal. <laughs> right. And it's, it's given me great confidence in who I am as a person to know that I can sit back a little bit and I'm worthy of coming of coming to. I, I quite, I mean, I like that. I like the, the fact that, that you've kind of, you've taken an area of your life and kind of psyche and all of that. And you, you've kind of said to yourself, okay, this is not something I'm especially skilled in or uh, I'm great at so I need to change that and I've got to I've got to I've got to push myself outside the comfort zone basically and and see what comes of it and that's that right there is a is totally a self-employed mindset it uh, really and, is yeah. yeah I I I honestly think people that are drawn to being self-employed are hopping on a fast moving train of personal development without even realizing it. But yet I think yeah. they're naturally drawn to it because I, I look at self-employment as personal development on steroids because yeah. it is, and I think something, and it's again, it's, you know, I know I started my, my life off selling eggs and now it's kind of a joke, which came first, the chicken or the egg. And I'm not sure <laughs> which, like, you know, because I think in a way we're drawn to self-employment as a, there's something about us that are seekers and innately want to grow and we choose self-employment. And then when we become self-employed, it just is so magnified because every one of your buttons is going to be pushed when you're self-employed. Patience, resilience, tolerance, you know, different personalities you interact with. It all happens at such a fast pace that you're constantly being stretched to becoming more of yourself. 
So for me, it literally being self-employed has been my route to personal development, to grow into a bigger version of myself. And I also, I think the other undeniable correlation, which I, I talk about a lot in the book, because I think people really need to, be, to grasp this, is that when you're self-employed, your level of success is directly proportionate to your level of personal development. What I mean by that is, is I refer to it as capacity. So anytime you want more in your business, more success, more money, when you want more for your business, the way to achieve more for your business is to actually do the personal work on yourself first in order to increase your capacity. Meaning if you want to go to the next level in your business, you have to go to the next level in your thinking. Yep. You have to, and right. And you have to unblock whatever might be keeping your thinking small. You have to step into the next level of de deservedness, which is really hard for people, right? It's really hard for people to, you know, to, to really go beyond, like we, we tend to box ourselves in by what we think we deserve in order to, to get more than what you currently have. You have to believe you deserve more. Yeah. You have to trust that as controlling as we are, when you're self-employed, you have to trust that there are other things at play. You, know, you have to trust in the people around you. You have to trust in forces bigger than yourself. You have to trust in circumstances. And so there's all these ways in which we have to increase the capacity within ourselves in order for our businesses to grow. What has always struck, and I, I developed that, that core principle from years of coaching people who reach out to me because they want their businesses to grow. And yet they perhaps don't do some of the, the work they're supposed to be doing on their own, or they, they're constantly telling me how overwhelmed they are and they're coming from a place of overwhelmed. And I will eventually have to say to them, I, I'm confused because you tell me you want more, but you're expressing that you can't handle what you have. Yeah. There's those two don't go together. Like you have to, we have to work on this mindset of constantly being overwhelmed. We have to work on this mindset that you don't have enough time. Because as you continue to tell yourself and the world around you, you don't have enough, how is more supposed to come along? Yeah, yeah. Right? So it, it has to begin with yourself. There's a direct correlation between your personal development and the success of your business. And, and that, I think, is one of the core messages I really want to get across in this book. Because what I see as a result of people that don't get that is they keep taking more action, putting in more hustle. And it's it's like they're trying to fit more into an overstuffed sack. Yeah. And the result yeah, yeah. of that is they wind up working really hard, but hardly getting ahead and not knowing why. They're burning themselves out and not knowing why they're not getting ahead or they're stuck at a, a certain plateau. It's because they haven't done the work to open up the capacity and space for more effort to fit in. I really love that. I think that's a, a, such a, again, a, a really logical thought process, actually. Yeah. And I, you, know, you can totally see that. I mean, I, I've had it in my own business as well. I'm, I'm self-employed now for six and a half years. And you, know, much like you, I think I was always working towards that. I definitely think I'm probably unemployable now. Um, <laughs> yeah. the, the the freedom is amazing, but there are also times where I feel that overwhelm, and there yeah. are times where you you know I take on too much, and I haven't really ever thought about that very point that you've made there that actually you know you're almost reverse engineering the problem. Yeah, yeah, and it's and you know and I, I'm such a as a, a 
as a coach, I'm just such a mix. And I know this is, and this can be, I think, unsettling for some people, but I'm such a mix of kind of, you know, woo woo and very, very logical thinking, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but that is what it takes to be self-employed. Like there's a certain amount of, of, you know, like I said, there's a lot of personal development that's needed. And I'm an extremely logical business strategist and it's, but that, that to me is the winning formula. When it comes to, and actually what I present in the book is what I refer to as the self-employed ecosystem and the self-employed ecosystem actually has three, three elements to it, which are is personal development, personal, uh, excuse me, business strategies. And then the third element, which I haven't really touched on, that's why I'm bringing it up because I don't want to leave this out is, (laughs) is daily habits. And the reason it's, it's really, I'm very cautious to not leave that out is because this is the sustainability piece, right? So it's one, it's, you know, kudos to you if you're doing the personal work, increasing your capacity so that when you apply more business strategies, your business grows. Great. There's another element here, and that is maintaining it, sustaining it. And that can only be done through consistent mindset, which are the result of consistent habits, what I refer to as daily habits. Like yeah. there's certain ways that, you know, you have to, you have to have certain habits that support the continuity in a world that is when you're self-employed is all over the place. Yeah. It's up and down. And the only, and it always will be because the, the myth of self-employment is every self-employed person I have ever asked why they went into business for themselves has the same answer. And it's always some version of, I wanted to control my destiny. I want to control my destiny. I want to control my future. I want to control the hours I worked to which I will say, how is that going for you? Yeah. And they laugh like, yeah, it's, yeah, you know, I was so like, great. that's right. That's the myth of self-employment because we think we're gaining control, but we're entering completely uncontrollable circumstances. Yeah. Economies change and the world changes. And now we know pandemics can come along. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. Well, I mean, anything is possible, right? Yeah. In terms of uh, so exter- external right. forces. So what I've, what I have learned and what I really teach in the book, which is really foundational to the entire book is that we can't control the circumstances around us when you're, when you're entering uncontrollable circumstances, the only thing you can control is the environment that you create for the results you want, right? The, all you can do is set up the circumstances. And, but the problem is, is that nobody really has taught the circumstances and that's the self-employed ecosystem. The self-employed ecosystem is the environment that can be set up to give businesses a 90% chance of success. Like just really, you know, that's, that's not a factual number. That's just a putting it out there as to how, you know, the importance of setting up the circumstances for the results you want, because we can't control the outside circumstances. But one of the things we have to do also, as I said, those daily habits is to, we need those, we need consistency so that we don't get derailed from the, the path that we're on. Absolutely. Do, the the daily habits, does that also center around things like looking after yourself beyond the kind of the realm of business? You know, are we talking about self-care habits here as well? We are, although what I teach in the book, and there's an element of self-care, but what I, you know, again, being self-employed, I... I want ROI. Like I want, I want to, I want to know there's results because there's a, there's an opportunity for a lot of nice to haves, but we don't have time for nice to haves. Like I will, because I believe most self-employed people will put in the effort as long as they can see a tangible result. Uh, so some of the daily habits I talk about are uh, like intentions, like how to, how to properly set intentions, not vague intentions, but how to properly set 
very clear intentions for the results you want. Support that with the reciting of affirmations and how to recite those affirmations, how to get real, how to create clear, you know, not these lofty things because, you know, you're working with the brain. And then, of course, I also, uh, another daily habit that I stress importance is some kind of a clearing of the mind habit, whether that's, you know, meditation is a typical one, but, you know, it could be a, it could be a habit of running. Yeah. You know, everybody needs something that puts the brain idle because that becomes fertile soil in the environment. So there needs, you need to have some kind of calming practice. And the other last one I'll share, which has really taken off, and, and I say taken off because so many people are writing me that they that they do this as well. And this is actually content that was in my previous book, but it's so good that it had to be included here as well because it is undeniably uh, uh, successful. And it's what I call a what's going right journal. Right. Okay. Now, it, it's playing in the field of a gratitude journal. But again, as I said earlier, I need tangible results for the effort I put in. And while gratitude is obviously a, you know, fundamentally a wonderfully human emotion, the challenge of it is I didn't find tangible results from gratitude, not tangible in my, like it didn't bring me more business. I also found it very broad. You know, it, I'm pretty darn grateful every moment of my life and I'm very grateful for where I live. I'm grateful when I wake up in the morning. So it, it was too broad for me. So what I developed, this what's going right journal is a, practice of journaling every morning. I do it in the morning. Some people do it at night, but I journal every morning, a whole, uh, just a list what's going right is. And then next, what's going right. So it might be what's going right is I, I got a new client today. What's going right is I'm being introduced to some great opportunities. What's going right is, you know, just sentence after sentence after sentence of what's going right. This is actually playing with the science of the brain because what you're doing is and what we know is that you what you focus on you get more of yeah so this is rewiring if you will the human tendency towards negativity because we will typically see more of what's going wrong we will, yeah. we, will we focus on we, we we can hear nine compliments one criticism and of course we're going to focus on the criticism so we tend to stay more focused in in our lives that are busy and there's a lot coming at us we tend to will be stay more focused on what's going wrong because we have a problem to solve. The problem is, is that that keeps going. And then another example of somebody pointed out to me is, is people's checking accounts. Most people only frequently check their checking account when there may not be enough money. <laughs> right? When there's more than enough money, nobody's checking their checking account. Okay. Because we're so wired for negativity. So we're always going to be look. So what the problem with that is that you're, you're just seeing, you're seeing yourself having less money. You're seeing yourself constantly not having enough money. What is that doing? Reinforcing not having enough money, right? So we're, we're just by nature, we're wired for that negativity because we're, we're, our brains are still just looking to survive. Yeah. And this what's going right journal literally reverses it. And what you find, and I've been doing this for several years now. So what I find is that, you know, I just throughout my day, I just, I'm much more apt to see what's going right. And they start becoming like really small things. And you're like, oh my gosh, that's, that's, I, that's going right. It, you start appreciating those what's going right moments. And that, that's what I mean by a consistent daily habit. And I, I will mention, if you look at, you know, what, what creates a, a, a balanced and thriving self-employed ecosystem, it's not that those three elements are in equal form, personal development, business strategy, and daily habits. The fact is, as ambitious people, we will always put more effort into our business strategies. 
what I present as daily habits takes about 15 minutes a day, which yeah. is far less than the number of hours you will put into action on any given day. It's never about equal amounts, but just like in nature, a balanced ecosystem is not that the elements of oxygen and you know the elements of nature, it's not as though they are equal, but they all have to exist. Yeah, they all play their part they in helping part. the other part. Right. And if one of those parts is off, it can kill the whole environment. And that is what happens. You know, what I tell us, what I say of businesses, I don't want to over dramatize and say if a part of your ecosystem is off, your business is dying. It may be. But what I can assure you is that you're working harder than you have to, right? You're yeah. fighting against the current if anything, if, if something is off in your ecosystem. And that's, that's what I do on a daily basis. I help people look at their whole business and create a thriving ecosystem so that all parts are working. Yeah, I I love that. I absolutely love that, and I think it because it I, again it, this appeals to my uh, to my brain. I suppose maybe that's a self employed brain. You were definitely speaking directly to me, by the way, when I with, with this book. There's a lot of stuff in there that I I found. Oh my god, that's me. Oh my oh my god, that's me. That's perfect. Oh, that's yeah. that's you know honestly, Phil, that's the best. That's the best feedback an author can get, and particularly for me with this book. Uh, that's exactly what was. I wrote the book because it doesn't exist out there. Like nobody's been talking to us. When Which I is mad, isn't it? Well, <laughs> yeah. here's what's even more mad. Like when I when I had the idea for that book, I went to Amazon to do my due diligence and to to search like what books are out there for self employed business owners. And I found yeah. that the top ten searches all had to do with taxes. Like who cares? I was like, that's not the number one priority for self employed people is, is taxation for self employed people. Top well, ten, you, you, top ten you, books. Probably uh, are employing somebody to do that specialist Correct. element for you anyway, right? Exactly. So I top 10 books. That was, but here's what really stood out to me. I, I literally, I think I sat back on a chair and I was like, oh my God, I've been in business for 36 years. And this is the first time I ever looked at Amazon to see if there was a book for me. Yeah. And that's the reality when you're self-employed, you're so independent of thought. You're so used to taking the hit to the chin we're so used to just holding ourselves up and bootstrapping. We don't even look for help. We don't even look for to, to see if there's help out there for us. Yeah. And that stood out to me how ne necessary this book was because nobody's written anything like it. And I said to my publisher, our biggest challenge is, is that people won't be looking for it. We need to make sure they know it's in front of them. We need to make sure they know it's an option because I know as a self-employed person for you know, almost four decades that... I've never looked to see if there's a book for me. Well, I'd, I'd think the vast majority of self-employed people, if they are, well, probably the vast majority are not like you in the sense that they they probably did start out in a job of some kind, an employed job. So when you make that jump into self-employment, you don't think about everything else. You just, you you take that crux of an idea and maybe you don't even write a business plan. You just get off and running and see where it takes you. And then there's all this other stuff that just comes at you that you you perhaps weren't ready for or didn't think through and, and all of that sort of thing. So I think any help in that space is absolutely necessary. Yeah, I, I agree. And I know from having done keyword research, hiring people to do keyword research, even still, if they need that help, if they're leaving the job and they're thinking about starting a business, they will tend to Google a small business and not necessarily the word self-employment, uh, which has an extremely low search rate, tends to be that they search for small business help 
small business coach, et cetera, mm. um, which is all well and good. The problem with that is, is that small business as definition is so broad. I mean, you can have up to 500 employees and be considered a small business, at least here in the US. I'm not sure it is in other countries. I think it's probably pretty similar. So, and yet 80% of small businesses have fewer than 20 employees, right? So it's the content that's out there by the term self-employment doesn't apply in the same way that, you know, if you look at financial aid for small, you can call yourself a small business and get yourself an appointment at the bank, but you sit in front of the banker and they find out that you're a business of one, guess what? You're not, you don't have the same options, mm. right? So, you know, when you're self, that's why I really wanted to write this book. And I, the, the book starts off by defining the differences between all the things we call ourselves, small business, freelancer, entrepreneur, self-employed. And I make a, hopefully a really strong argument as to why we need to call ourselves self-employed and really take ownership of that term because it is the only term that describes the life you live and describes your business model. You know, you say you're self-employed, we know your we know your taxation structure like it says a lot. No other term really small business is not accurate for, you know, probably 80% or more of businesses that might say that they're self-employed. Yeah. The fact of the matter is they're they're not. You know, in, in the truest sense, they're so small compared to the definition of small business. Yeah, that's that's I'd never thought of that before. But again, that probably highlights as well, you know, that a vast majority of self-employed people overthink things and complicate matters. I mean, that, you could argue that's just a problem in business generally, whereas actually, if you just take a moment to to really work through, there's not a lot of complication here, but it is just about getting the basics in the right place. Yeah. Well, the, the reason there's complication, and I'd love that you brought that up because it's actually, again, one of the things that was very heavily in my mind as I'm writing it, is that the reason there's complication for self-employed business owners is that we don't have centralized departments. We're not a company with centralized departments. We don't have a marketing department and a janitorial department. We're all of those things. Yeah. We're both the janitor and the marketer and the, it's the customer service and, you know, so what happens is that we end up having to hire around us people of certain specialties that we need, right? So we hire uh, somebody to help with our Facebook ads. We hire very specifics. We go to conferences in our trade. We buy courses for uh, so that we can get better on YouTube or Instagram. Like we, we literally run all over the place to get everything we need because everything's not centralized for us. Mm. And then we're accused by the outer world. And often I find what we're saying to ourselves is that we're all over the place. We're a hot mess. We're scattered. We're not focused. It's like, but everything's all over the place. How focused can you be? And that was really one of the main objectives of this book, uh, which is why I developed it as this idea of an ecosystem, because how about a book where you can get business coaching, business strategies, and daily habits all in one place, you know, and I, I want this, and I'm so grateful as advanced readers and endorsements started coming in, people were describing it as a guidebook, the book that's going to sit at the corner of your desk and you're going to keep picking up. It's not a book that it's not a book you read and put on a shelf. It's a book you read, you get a sense of all your options, and hopefully you will enact any one of the number of options, whether it's the coaching options or the business strategies. But you keep it nearby and you, and you pick it up and say, oh, let me try this marketing strategy that that this guy, Jeffrey Shaw, offered. So I, th- I definitely see it more as a guidebook so that we have everything in one place and we're not all over the place. Yeah, absolutely. 
I mean, I, I can't imagine anybody would read it that's working within a, a self-employed framework who would not take massive value from from reading this. Well, I hope so. Tell the millions of self-employed business owners out there just that. Yeah, yeah. There you go. There's, you can use that in your marketing. I hope so. Yeah, as I uh, as I say to everybody that comes on the show, if it works, I'll just take ten percent. It's fine. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, I'm conscious you've shared a lot with us today in the book. Is there anything else that you that you would like to specifically bring up with regards to to the book or what what happens next for you? I I I don't want everybody listening to this to feel like they have they've read the book and so don't need to buy it because I definitely think you need to. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot. I mean, there's very and it, the the business strategy section alone is so chock full of you know, things that I, you've never heard before, like hug marketing, emotional journey of a website map. And uh, I actually teach this entire chapter on how to be an awesome podcast guest, because as a podcast host, I'm really tired of bad guests. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. And more tired of really bad pitches to get on my show. So I actually, I do a whole chapter on like, okay, let's get this right. This is how you pitch a host. This is how you perform well on a show, because let's face it, podcasting is a great marketing strategy for a lot of businesses. Yeah. But you have to understand our perspective as a host. Like, I mean, stop sending us these horrible pitches and think that you're going to get on the show. So let's fix it. And so the, the business section alone, the strategies, you know, we haven't even touched on it. It's so chock full of so many things that they can apply. So by no means has, you know, have they, hopefully they've been inspired, but, you know, I'd say the only other thing I would add to it is that, you know, what I'm, what I'm out to do with this work for self-employed business owners is really be more of every bit as much anyway, an, an advocate on their behalf, as much as hopefully leading, you know, leading, leading them towards better information, because I am very, you know, you and I were touching on politics and, and I do have an inclination towards politics. So I, I do plan on being you know, intimately involved in, again, here in the US anyway, you know, really involved in protecting the rights of self-employed business owners. And the other thing that's really starting to intrigue me that may appeal to, to some of your listeners as well is when I, when I wrote this book, I contacted my speaking rep and I said, you know, just so we're clear, I, I may never get a, I may not be getting any corporate gigs anytime soon because I'm writing a book about being self-employed. Like what corporation is going to hire me? <laughs> And you know what? I'm completely challenged. So many of the people have challenged me on that. And now I'm starting to look at that very differently. And what I'm seeing is that progressive companies, I believe, are going to embrace this idea of hiring self-employed-minded employees who don't necessarily want to take the risk of being in business for themselves. Right? Yep. So it's right. sort of the, you know, years ago, we used to talk about the entrepreneur, like innovation, yeah. you, know, you know, the and the entrepreneur mindset, which didn't really catch on, but I think there really is something to companies fostering the self-employed mindset and having the, that workforce that takes that feels so connected with the company they work for that they're doing it as if they care as much as being self-employed, that they behave as independently and you know as creatively and innovatively that they they're working for a company with the same level of passion and commitment that one does self-employed, but they don't necessarily want that the risk factors that come with self-employment. Mm. I actually think there's, there's a whole mindset there that I'm starting to really develop because I do speak a lot in the HR industry on my previous book, Lingo, as a, cause I've adapted 
branding strategies to recruiting strategies. And so I speak a lot in HR and I think much to my surprise, the same thing is happening. I think there is an application for the self-employed mindset and how that can actually be leveraged within companies as well. Yeah. I, I could not agree with you more. And, and, you know, there is, well, there's any amount of business, especially businesses that want to kind of hold on to their agility and, and be able to move quickly and, and, you know, go where things are unfolding. Then, you know, bringing in people who, who are that way minded is a, is a real benefit to the company. It's not a, not a hindrance. Yeah. I mean, it, but like I said, at a time when we have such a huge dissatisfaction rate in companies, how incredible would it be to have a workforce that is as committed to the company they work for as if it was their own business? Yeah. That's the self-employed mindset in, in a company atmosphere. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that sounds like a wonderful place to wrap it up. I feel like I've had a coaching session, to be honest. It's great. <laughs> awesome. Any time. Yeah, that didn't cost me anything. Fantastic. Apart from my time, but that's fine. And of course, now I've got 10% of any uh, any loyalties that come from your you marketing strategy. But I have to say, I mean, it, it feels to me like there is there is no one better qualified to write a book like this. For somebody who's devoted their life to this world, you know, this is four decades worth of knowledge and know-how and blood sweat tears you you kind of name it and then to you this is probably a a, a work of your life rather yeah, than a than is. a whimsical thing that you've just put together yeah I've, I've actually been referring to this as my i think that i said to my my publisher this may be my legacy book which is <laughs> wonderful and scary because i plan on writing other books but the truth of the matter is this is as you said it's nearly four day, decades of experience and i've received over a thousand hours of training as a coach let alone the hours i've spent coaching over 12 years and this really is the blend of it all in one book i mean i i have plans for other books but i think this one might be hard to beat as far as it being a collection of everything and and i'm glad it's my second i could never this could never have been my first book i don't think i could i I think I, I had to have that warm-up experience with my previous book, which I'm very, very proud of, my book, Lingo, and it yeah. did very well. But this, I, this I do think, is in a kind of an amalgamation of, of, of everything. Uh, so we'll see where I go from here. Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> uh, when's the book out? May 4th. So uh, as we're recording this, it's just in a few days. So um, yeah, I'm a, you know, it's, it's been wonderful having this downtime with you because there hasn't been much downtime in my life. <laughs> Bless you. I'm glad you look at this as, as downtime because I, I, <laughs> I, was def I was definitely, my brain was switched on. How can I sound like I know what I'm talking about a little bit and, um, you know, not not make it sound like I'm completely out of my depth. But I, at the end of the day, I, I, I am your target market for this because I am a self-employed guy. I'm loving my life this way. I, I can't ever envisage you know, leaving this, but there are things that I don't get right. And, yeah. um, you know, so I, I, uh, I salute you for putting down in writing what people like me need to see. Well, I hope it helps. And believe me, I don't always get things right either, but we're all learning as we go. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Where will uh, people be able to get a, a copy? Is it going to Amazon, the usual it's, places? It's the usual places. However, I, I love to direct people to uh, the selfemployedlife.me. Uh, yep. And the reason being is that, hey, I wrote a book called The Self-Employed Life. So what I did is uh, <laughs> I created relationships with nine online retailers. Uh, so obviously Amazon's the big behemoth, but there are eight other choices. So you don't have to give all your money to the big guy. There are smaller online retailers that would love your business, one of which gives 10% back to uh, independent bookstores. 
Uh, so, Brilliant. so this way you have some options. And the other, and if you go to that page, uh, you'll see a, a, a link to do so. But you also, I think of anybody self-employed, this is a wonderful opportunity. We've created an assessment tool, which is uh, can be found at selfemployedassessment.com. And the assessment tool allows you the opportunity to answer a few questions and it gives you a, it's a customized algorithm will give you specific insights into where in the self-employed ecosystem you need to apply the most effort. Right. So it's, uh, that's, I had that custom designed and uh, that can be found at again, selfemployedassessment.com. Or if you go to the selfemployedlife.me, there's a button to take the test, the assessment as well. Great. Well, you know where I'm going when we get off the microphone. Yeah, I, I suspected. <laughs> yeah, let me know how it goes. I think it's been really helpful. The feedback on it's been excellent. Um, and like I said, it was the first time I ever hired somebody to like, you know, really, and it took months to do it, but to, this, to, to write a custom algorithm, it's kind of mind bending. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> I can't, you know, that definitely doesn't appeal to, to my brain in any way, shape or form. I, I, just, I just had to explain the scenarios and uh, yeah, he was brilliant, but we're proud of it. Brilliant. No, I'll definitely go and take a look at that. And um, yeah, I'll put all of the uh, the links in the show notes to, to everywhere and everything that we've discussed today. And um, well, thank you very much for, for coming on and sharing your, your story and, and what this book's all about. And I wish you all the very best with, uh, with it. I, I just feel like this is going to be huge. Hmm. Well, thank you, Phil. I really appreciate that. Um, it's, you know, I, I as we do as self-employed, I waver. And one minute, I feel like king of the mountain. And the yeah. next minute, I feel like, you know, a tiny little ant. So uh, depending on the moment you ask me. <laughs> it's so true I, though, isn't it? It's so yes. true that. Yeah. I, had a, yeah. I, had a, I had a day like that yesterday where I felt, you know, I was King Kong and everything right. was just going. I definitely wanted and needed a, a, a things going right journal at that yeah. point. <laughs> and I could do with it more than ever today because I'm definitely having one of those days today where I'm questioning my capability and everything yeah well like i said a moment ago i mean i'm thrilled this is my second book because i don't think i could have put all this in my first book but then i live in fear of this being like my sophomore album because let's the sophomore album always bombs yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, that fear. so again in any given moment i'm like this book's gonna kill it oh my god it's my second it's my sophomore <laughs> album it's gonna bomb so i don't <laughs> that's the reality i always say you know uh i was i've learned to say shoot that was a tough hour I don't look at it as a good day, bad day, because things change hour to hour. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But I, pre I appreciate your support and your kind words very much. You're very, very welcome. Wish you all the best and thank you again for, for coming on. Thank you so much. Take care, Jeffrey. And there we have it. A huge thank you to Jeffrey for coming on the show to share his story and to give us all some wonderful insight into what you can expect from his brilliant book, The Self-Employed Life. There are huge numbers of self-employed people in the hospitality industry, so if you or someone you know could benefit from some advice, pick up your copy now. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week for more amazing stories.